Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1999, primarily to youth and families. She began her own meditation practice in her late teens and has studied with senior teachers in the Vipassana and Vajrayana traditions for 20 years. Holding the position of Spirit Rock family program teacher and manager for many years, she currently teaches classes, day-longs, and retreats throughout California. She brings to her teachings a passion for the depth of retreat practice combined with a playful creativity for integrating the teachings into daily life. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be sitting with you all again. Really want to welcome the new people also. It's really important that we have new energy in our communities, always coming in, and that we have the people who are kind of the stability and the rock in the communities. And, and I do teach all over the place, and just coming back here, um, I returned just a couple weeks ago from six months of travel and study and retreats in Asia, in India, and in Nepal. And just sitting here with you all, I really want to reflect from being away what I've reflected before, which is that just the spirit of welcome and safety and love that is so tangible in this room, in this hall, um, is very precious. So thank you for being that. My understanding is that last week you had the privilege of experiencing some teachings uh, to both purify the heart and open the heart. It sounded quite wonderful um, and a great way to start the new year. And so when I checked in with Jerry about coming, I said, well, you know, had anything particularly been taught about or, or reflected on in terms of this changing of time. And he said, well, not particularly because we're having this special teaching about, um, turns out, purifying the heart and opening the heart, which, you know, how great. You start the new year and it's like, let's just dive right into direct experience. That's what this practice is about. And this week I want to talk a little bit more and add to that. I want to talk about time and about intention and about refuge. 
And at the end of our time together, uh, just do kind of a, a simple guided meditation slash ritual that will join our community, I hope, a little bit more deeply into that direct experience. So that's what I want to talk about. And it's been really interesting for me recently to reflect about time because truthfully, until a few days ago in Kathmandu, which was the last place that I spent time in, in my travels, it's 12 hours different. So at this time of day, you know, it's, it's 11 p.m. to the body here, you know, and, and you're running around acting as if there's a daytime happening and yet the whole system is saying no sleep sleep and then at night it's the opposite you know everyone uh, agrees that it's dark therefore we'll sleep but the whole system was going ah time to burst out into activity and connection it's not as clear-cut as it looks and when it gets in the body like that all of us have done travel and time changes you really start to see oh there's a biological component to it and then there's all the beliefs that we put on it. You know, we, we all happen to agree that in the, at this moment it's 11.09. But if we went around and looked at our clocks, it would be, you know, 11.05, 11.12. You know, what does all this mean? This piece about time. Mm-hmm. And what I've been noticing as I've just been reflecting on this and you know dealing with the body being out of sync with conventional reality is so much how we do this with many many things and I was reflecting when I arrived in India the very first night it was my first trip to India so we flew into Delhi and got off the plane I don't even know how many time zones you know it was a 27-hour trip just to get there, and we weren't done with our trip yet. We were actually going to Ladakh in the Indian Himalaya, but we got to Delhi, and it was late at night in one of those famous Indian cabs, and um, we're going to our hotel, and they're all, you know, it's Delhi. It's a huge, huge city. There's all these stoplights. The cab driver completely ignored them. I mean, it was like they didn't exist. They could be red. They could be yellow. They could be green. I mean, if they were purple, he would have just kept driving. And after I got over my initial surprise about that and had a moment of smiling, actually, thinking of San Francisco and how... In San Francisco, we conventionally agree that uh, red lights are mostly red, but yellow lights definitely mean go, and and if it just turned red, it's okay. I mean, we have all these conventional beliefs. In a different city, that's not true. We know that. So I'm driving through Delhi, and I just start looking at the lights, and it's like, there they are, you know? Color red. It's round. There's light coming out of it. We've created all this meaning. It's just a red light that's round. Um, I always thought it was rather strange that everybody agreed to stop at red lights, even in this country. You know, I just thought, wow, how amazing that everyone can agree to this. How amazing that everybody can agree what time it is so that things work. You know? And that's conventional reality, and it's super important you know, for safety and for you know, connection and for functionality. And then there's something more than that. There's something bigger than that. And on New Year's Eve this year, I was down in the South Bay in uh, Saratoga in the Redwoods. I was teaching a teen and young adult New Year's retreat, five-day retreat. So 15 to 19-year-olds doing this five-day retreat where, you know, 30-minute periods of silent sitting meditation like we just did, 30 minutes of silent walking meditation, a lot of the day in silence, these young, young people. And at 10 minutes to New Year's Eve, 10 minutes to New Year's Eve, 10 minutes to New Year's, 10 minutes to midnight, we were in the middle of a huge ritual that we call the love tunnel. And what it is is that there's two, there were 50 of us, and there's two rows of people, and they stand, you know, this far apart facing each other. 
And every person gets blindfolded and walks gently through this love tunnel, and people say appreciations to that person. Uh, you know, needless to say, after a few rounds of that, the blindfolds were sopping wet. Everyone was, you know, in tears. It's so beautiful to see our goodness in, in those ways. But the problem was, was that it was 10 minutes to midnight. And even though we had led this ritual many times in other contexts, the outpouring of appreciation was so strong in this ritual that we were not going to be done with this ritual to acknowledge, to celebrate New Year's. And these are young people, you know, what to do. And we didn't know what to do. And our teaching team started whispering to each other, what, what are we going to do? It's, it's five minutes till midnight. And the kids started looking at their watches. And one of them said, Heather, it's five minutes to midnight. I said, I know. I don't know what to do. What do you think we should do? And um, she said, well, this, this is amazing. Let's just finish this ritual and, and we'll celebrate midnight after it's done. Wow, okay, yeah, that's radical. We could celebrate midnight late. And I thought, okay, well, that's one kid, you know? I mean, we get attached to these things. You know, to not be able to acknowledge midnight when we're doing this big New Year's Eve thing. So I asked a few more young people. I said, well, it's three till midnight. And here we are what, what do you think and it was so funny independently of each other about half a dozen young people said well let's finish this and we'll celebrate it after oh interesting at 12.42 p.m. we had a great raucousy cheer and chanting and celebration of midnight you know was it midnight we all collectively agreed in that community of 50 that it was midnight and that was the moment of New Year's and we put our whole hearts and intention into creating that moment that didn't exist. But of course when we watch television on New Year's Eve, you know, we're having sympathetic joy and mudita for people in New York City three hours before we hit midnight. You know, it's like... How, are these things a little less solid than they appear? It's a great question to ask ourselves. And how do we create reality through our thoughts? So I'll offer a quote that's very famous on this, but it's still one of my favorites, and it's the first verse out of the Dhammapada. It's words of the Buddha. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts, and with our thoughts we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind, and trouble will follow you, as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts, and with our thoughts we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind, and happiness will follow you, as your shadow, unshakable. And I reflect on that quote constantly. I've been reflecting on it constantly for over a decade. You know, it's like, wow, with these thoughts I create the world. And in community, when we all have the same thoughts, we create that community. So what do we want to create here? What it's offering is choices. You know, and that's the power of it. I'll give a couple of analogies on this, how we create our world. And one is walking down a city street like this, like the one that we're on or, or maybe on mission. You know, and we're, we're walking along and there's just a lot of movie theaters on the street. So wherever in San Francisco all the theaters are. You know, and one theater is romance, and one theater is tragedy, and one theater is strange sci-fi, and another theater is, you know, violent action movies, and you got all your genres of movie, right? And we're just trying to walk down the street and stay connected with everything. But we keep getting sucked into these movie theaters, you know? We go on these trips, like romance number 57, you know, play back. And it looks so real. It feels so real. You know? 
We experience these movies in our bodies. We experience them in our emotions. We have thoughts about them. And then we wake up and realize, I'm in a movie. And go back out to the street and go, oh, I could go into any theater right now, or I could just let all this touch me and not actually enter the theater. So it's a good metaphor for our minds. You know, we just get sucked right into the uh, strange sci-fi movie and everything's a little, you know, different than how it usually is. And our whole day is like that. And, oh, that was a strange day. I was in the sci-fi movie. You know? <laughs> you know, days like that. And another one is walking down the same street, except this street is filled with restaurants. And we're hungry. And I was really noticing this in Kathmandu. In downtown Kathmandu, they have an area called Tamal. And it has all these different restaurants and stores and shopping. And, you know, you walk down the street and you get asked to buy 50 things in a one-block radius. You know, it's just a lot of, lot of input, a lot of colors, lots of sights, sounds, smells. Uh, experiences. And if I walked down that street hungry, I didn't see anything but the restaurants. I was just looking for a restaurant that had, you know, healthy food that probably wasn't going to make me sick, that looked good. That was all I was seeing. But it got more interesting because I was shopping for a few gifts for family and friends before I came home. And I noticed that I had to walk down the same set of streets multiple times because when I was looking for a pashmina shawl for a friend, all I could look for was the Pajmino shawl shops. And then I'd have to walk through again. I was looking for some sort of nice piece of art for my father. And I didn't see the amazing store of paintings when I was walking down the same street looking for Pajmina. I just didn't see it. And we kind of, that's how we live our lives. If we're in, I think of it, another way of thinking about it is like we wear glasses. If we're wearing the anger glasses today, that's everything is setting off that tone, you know? And this came really true to me and one day a couple of years ago. I'll never forget it. There was just a lot of anger, and it was sticking to every single object imaginable. And I finally caught on that the whole thing was going on when I was trying to hang up a piece of clothing with a hanger, and the hanger wouldn't go on the... Uh, the thing that you hang it on. And it just wouldn't go on. I kept falling off, and I was getting more and more angry at this hanger. It's like, this hanger's out to get me. <laughs> and I realized, oh, you know, all day, it's felt like everything's out to get me, and I'm angry. And I'm just attaching to different objects. You know, I'm just, today I'm obsessed with restaurants. Tomorrow I'm obsessed with pashmina shawls. You know, we just attach, attach, <coughs> attach, attach, attach. And it's just like these stickies. You know, we get stuck. And the interesting thing is that the getting stuck in itself doesn't necessarily have to be a huge problem. It's actually part of our human nature to, to get stuck to things, you know, to get attached, to, to get involved enough that we're suffering. It's part of our humanness. You know, and it's really okay. What this practice offers, though, is mindfulness to see that. The attention that says, oh, you know, um, totally stuck in this anger, and it just attached to an object called this hanger. You know, that's all. No big deal, no problem. And in that moment, I just looked at the hanger and laughed, and a totally new movie went on called, you know, uh, Heather just letting go and laughing at herself and, you know, everything's okay movie. And it was just gone. The whole other thing just disappeared. You know, like a dream. Because it was a dream. You know. So, what interests me very much is how our reality is both very real you know, and it's, it's what we live our lives through. It's our connections. It's our, all of our ways of being, all of our habit patterns. It's very real and valid and important. And in the very same moment, it's also a dream. 
You know, it's just a bubble that pops. And we never really know when it's going to pop. You know, so, so something wonderful might be happening to us and we're cruising along, life is great. And that's completely real and valid. And then the bubble pops. And it, my question is, you know, how do we relate to that? How do we relate to the impermanence of that? Uh, knowing that when things are really hard, this too shall pass. You know, it's like, okay, it's okay, Heather, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. Take a breath, you know, it's okay. And it's going on and it really just is horrible, whatever it is. And it's the same with our joys. When the bubble and it pops, how do we relate? That's to me the important question. Because all these things are going to happen. They're going to keep happening. They're our birthright as humans. You know? mm. And this piece about intention feels really, really important in that activity. Because when we're clear about our intentions, then that influences mindfulness and it influences how we're going to respond to the bubble popping or, you know, the hard events of our life continuing on and it feels like it's forever. And it really does feel like it's forever, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm struggling with some uh, physical things after this trip, which, you know, six months in India is pretty normal. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and when I'm in it, you know, and it's activated, it feels like forever. You know, and we go through these cycles of being stuck in the forever and, you know, the wanting it to last forever or the despair that it will go on forever. And then we can move out of that cycle as a place to get stuck. It can just be something that moves through. So like with this, it's like, oh, it feels like forever, this health issue I'm dealing with. You know, it's suffering, it's painful, I don't feel well. And then what happens in the cycle? If there's not, if I don't stick to it all the way, it keeps moving. And then the next thing that arises is, oh, what could I do to take care of myself in this moment? Could I do a little research online? Could I make a call? Could I do something to take care of the body in this moment? You know, and then that thing that is so helpful and so tricky called hope arises. Because the flip side of hope is fear. And yet that hope buoys our hearts and allows us to move forward, you know, into the next thing and the next thing. The cycle continues. It just keeps going. We know that. But there's so much freedom. And a heart that's clear on its intentions can allow mindfulness to do its job and can then allow us to respond in the most skillful way possible in that moment which allows us to access our own wisdom about what would be the most skillful response in this moment to this health issue, for example, you know, or this pain in our hearts. You know, there's a lot of good advice out there, but the bottom line is that it's, it's in here. You know, the wisdom of the appropriate response is in here, in this heart. And the thing about intention is that intention actually powers the results of an action more than the action itself. You know, so a traditional example that's often used is this thing about mindfulness, right? Or or attention to the present moment. We use it a lot. It sounds like a good thing to do. But it's actually equally possible to be very... uh, attentive when you're robbing a house as when you're, you know, in meditation. I mean, not all the components of mindfulness are quite in play when you're robbing a house because there's a piece about clear comprehension or bringing in wisdom to mindfulness, and that might be a little bit amorphous at that moment. But, but you see what I mean. And... So the more that we can get clear about what our intentions are towards the skillful, the more our lives actually flow out of that. And for me, the, the freedom in that is that I can have the same life. 
I can have the same body, the same heart, the same family, the same relatives, the same friends, the same government, the same politics. Everything can be exactly the same. And when I'm clear on what my intentions are for the way that I want to live my life, you know, the movies that I walk into change, the way I conduct myself changes. It's the same situation. And that was one of the most important things to me when I first came into meditation practice and into Buddhism was realizing I didn't have to change anything uh, in life, that there wasn't a mistake or a problem and there really wasn't anything to be fixed. It was just how can I access that wisdom that knows how to respond skillfully to what's happening. And that's the power of intention. And the other piece that I want to bring in to support the power of intention is refuge. This piece about refuge, what does refuge mean to you? When we say the word refuge, we think of a home. I really felt, and I said at the beginning of, of what I've been saying to you, when I came and sat here in this room with you, I felt refuge. I felt held. I felt safe. Um, you know, that care is some of the essence of, of what refuge provides. And there's, again, different ways to look at the direct experience of refuge. And one in the Buddhist tradition is much more traditional. And they talk about the refuges taking refuge in Buddha and Dharma and Sangha. This is the triple gem or something that's, that's precious that we can take refuge in. A less traditional way of saying the same thing is, is laying our hearts and, and our lives grounded in wisdom, in truth, and in connection. It's a different way of saying the same thing. And, you know, it's, it's, I like those three words because, number one, it's something that we can each relate something to, and we might not each be able to relate something to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. But, you know, wisdom and truth and connection, we all have some relationship to that. And the other reason I like to say it that way is that I find that it's important for us to develop our own inner language around these spiritual practices and around these teachings. And it's why it's great in a community like this that you get to hear a different teacher's voice every week, because every week you'll hear some phrase, some word that goes, yeah, you know, that's really true for me. And every week you'll hear some phrase and some words that you'll say, well, I hear what they're saying, but that's not really my lingo. That's not really how I would say it to myself. You know, so it's an important thing that we each have to do for ourselves as we walk down the spiritual path, is, is find appropriate language. And these traditional refuges... are more of a kind of an archetypal refuge or a universal refuge. It's something that every human being can rest in at certain points. You know, it includes, includes everybody. And so it's important that we connect with that when it feels appropriate and say, okay, you know, how does this support me? How does making a priority to wisdom and truth and connection support me in my life right now? And then we also have very personal or conventional refuges. And I want to name those two and include them in this space because we do take refuge in many, many different places. So the more personal refuges are refuges that very much support us in our lives, but are uncertain. You know, they aren't stable in some way. They could change, and they do, and they could disappear, and they do. And yet, at the same time, we are incredibly supported by these. Uh, so, you know, to name some of those, 
For some of us, it's a family member. You know, that we really, you know, we have refuge with them. We feel like they have our back. Or it might be a friend or partner. A place on the planet that we can go in our minds or physically and say, ah, this is home. Take refuge here. And the reason that we have those, you know, and then of course we could go even further with the personal refuges, you know. We have all these habits that we kind of take refuge in when the going gets rough. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking refuge in, you know, and, and being able to, to eat right now. I'm taking refuge in a uh, computer right now. I'm taking refuge in on and on and on. That the places that we rest, you know, when things get complicated and we all have those places so for me it seems very important to combine those two senses of refuge so that we're not rejecting um, we're not rejecting the habits that might not always be so skillful and yet you know there is a piece of skillfulness in them or not to reject the the, play, the the more relative places that we take refuge in our lives where, you know, we know it's not permanent. We know that our friends, our family members, you know, they may not live as long as we do. You know, I mean, that's, that's really where the separation happens. Um, and yet we still want to lay our hearts there. Um, so we include that. And we ground it in this sense of universal refuge that says, okay, in all this, how am I connecting with wisdom, truth, and connection for me today? So that then we have a very kind of holistic feeling of, of taking refuge. And that even though life sometimes feels really random and really, yeah, just random and hard, that there's something that, there's a tree we're sitting under, you know, the same way that Siddhartha sat under the Bodhi tree and, and you know, said to his, his own system, you know, teach me, I want to be free, teach me. And we can do that, each one of us can do that. We don't need a Bodhi tree, any tree will do, and we don't need a tree, you know, this roof will do, and we don't need this roof either. We don't need anything. And we do need things. And so both are true. And that's what I'm weaving. It's like this, this more universal and the personal, that we do need things. We need support. It's important to embrace the support we have and ask for it when we can, when we don't have it. One more quote. I want to read to you about how reality is, is built and how we can bring how we can bring love into it to build it in a way that feels right to each of us. It's also words from the Buddha. The thought becomes the word. The word transforms into the deed. The deed hardens into the character. The character manifests as the destiny. So watch your thoughts with care and let them spring from love, out of respect for all beings. I just love that quote. I say it to myself all the time, I read it when I share Dhamma all the time, and I still get tears in my eyes. And still, after all years of doing this, because it's just seeing, oh yeah, this is how I create myself, you know, and it's okay. And if I know how I'm creating myself, and I know how I'm creating my world, then I have choices, you know, that I can bring in love. If we know how it's built, 
then we know a little bit more how we might be able to dismantle something that isn't serving us so well anymore, that might have served us quite well before. That character and the character habits that aren't so helpful, they just got built because we didn't have a better way of doing it at the time. And then it just becomes a pair of glasses that we wear and we see the world through it. That's all. And it takes a lot of work sometimes and some hard choices to dismantle those, but it is possible and we know it. If we didn't know it, we would be sitting here. I know that. So... In terms of the guided piece and the ritual piece, first I want to say that you are welcome to participate in this. We're not moving or anything, but it's still participation. You're welcome to participate in this as much or as little as feels right to you. There's a piece that doesn't ring true for you today. Just sit and add your presence to the room. It's really, really fine. It's, it's for you, it's for us. And I'm actually wondering if I could borrow that bell. That would be great. <coughs> Thank you. You're welcome. What we're going to do is some reflection practice, which is something that people ask quite frequently about. Is it possible to use mindfulness and meditation to reflect, to actually think about things as well as to you know, allow the thoughts to settle and, and concentration to rise? And, and the answer is yes. It's not something that we teach so much in the insight meditation tradition, which is the tradition I teach in, but it is there and, and it is important. So that's, we'll do a bit of reflection, and then there'll also be a couple of times when I'll invite people to call out things into the room if if that feels like something that would add to the power of your own inner experience. So that's kind of the the, uh, overview. And so I'll ring the bell and invite you to close your eyes. can take a breath together and feel our aliveness in this moment, the preciousness of being alive. The next time I ring the bell, I would invite you to reflect back on last year, this year that uh, in the West we've collectively decided to name 2010, and yet in other cultures and other traditions there are many other numbers associated with this year. So last year, reflecting on last year, And there's two pieces to this, and I think we'll do one piece at a time to keep it simple. So the first thing is, I'd like to ask you to drop in the question to yourself, is there anything that happened or that I did or or some event last year that I hold any kind of regret about or just felt a little off? Now, please don't think of every little thing. Okay, One event or thing represents all events when we're working with the heart. It's, it's actually how the heart practices work. So ring the bell and just see if anything comes to mind.
If nothing comes to mind, the same practice we're about to do will actually work. Because it's work with the heart. And so instead of getting caught in the big long story about what you did or they did and how you responded, etc., etc., just take a breath with how it feels to know, oh, that was a little off. That wasn't quite skillful. It didn't work. I feel regret. And we'll just take three breaths with that regret. And the thing about regret is that it just needs to be seen. It needs to be felt. A few breaths. And then out of that, naturally, this intention arises, oh, I don't want to do that again. You know? It doesn't feel right. May I have a more skillful response in the future? It just comes naturally out of the pain. So see if it comes for you. And if it doesn't come, then you can just say, you know, may I have the intention? to to let this regret teach me. Here comes the hard part. The hard part is dropping all that. It's still living in us, but shifting our attention to something that was incredibly wholesome or skillful that we did some event that happened in the last year. Just one. One represents all. One beautiful thing. And call it into your heart. When you acted out of the self that you want to be every moment, but only are some moments. And just take a few breaths with it. If you happen to be connecting with this and feeling it, don't miss the opportunity to really feel how good it feels. Because that's planting the seeds of more, you know, skillful action. for you to call in the names of anybody who particularly suffered in the last year or had particular joys in the last year. We'll just do them all together in one big uh, collection so that we can call them in to share the goodness of what we're doing here and to share the, the power of our own process. So if there's anyone's name you want to say out loud, please go ahead. And then surrounded by our community and also surrounded by the loved ones that we just called in, whether we know them or not. This whole community of of those seen and unseen in the room can bear witness to if there's any particular intention that we want to set for ourselves for the time to come knowing that as we set this intention in this moment, we're planting seeds for the future. 
and that we don't have to be in charge of the results. We're planting them, we're watering them with the caring that we have. And they'll grow in their own own way. Is there any particular quality that you particularly want to focus on bringing into your life at this time? And there's the thought of this intention. And we'll also open it up because there's power in saying the intention. So if there's a phrase that you want to say that the whole community will hear as we say them, you're welcome or not. Any others? Okay, well, those will stand for all of them. You know, and if you haven't connected with an intention yet, that's actually okay because simply placing your attention here, and they will pop up later today. So we'll just seal it with a bell. According to this timepiece here, (laughs) we could change it. (laughs) Right, Happy New Year. Will you be available during the social hour to hang out and maybe answer some questions and spend a little time with us? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, great. Thank you so much for today. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I'll have to come back again soon. I would love to. Can we hear from our host today? Yeah, I'm the host. Um, so there's some food out there. Um, help yourself. And uh, there, there's a donable that I'll circulate and the suggested donation is five to eight dollars. Um, we ask if you have tea that you wash your cup with soapy hot water and rinse it from the back of the rack. Um, there's a sign-up sheet on the credenza that people have to include their names or update that list. And we also, some of us meet around 12.30 at the door to head out for lunch. And I think that's about it. Thank you. Anyone else? Mr. Jerry. Thanks again, Heather, for coming today. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> And next week, our speaker will be John Misper from the East Bay Meditation Center. Mm-hmm. Great. Any other announcements? We have a little time. Okay, I, I actually have one announcement <clears throat> and actually some information that I do want to share with you. Um, a member of our Sangha by the name of Roger Pinnell. Some of you know him. He's been hang- coming to the Sangha since August. Um, I think he uh, expressed, he's expressed before during Dharma talks and things about his struggle with cancer right now. And he recently posted on the Yahoo page um, the website to donate bone marrow. Um, the cancer that he is uh, dealing with in his life right now requires a bone marrow transplant. And a few days before Christmas, uh, he found out that his cancer has come out of remission and it's now back. Mm-hmm. So in order for Roger to receive this bone marrow <clears throat> uh, transplant, he has to be in remission. So at the moment, he is dealing with a very intensive chemotherapy that requires four, four nights in the hospital and then three weeks off 
four nights again, three weeks off, and perhaps a third round. The doctors are hopeful that he can uh, get back into remission after round two. But there, you know, he may have to go through round you know, three as well. Once he's in remission, the next step is for him to go ahead and to hopefully have a close enough donor to have this um, bone marrow uh, transplant. I was with him on Friday evening. I hung out with him at the hospital, and his spirits are very good. And I asked his permission today that I disclose this to the Sangha because I'm, uh, I asked him you know, if that would be okay to share, because my intention for this was to for, have all of us put out some healing thoughts and some loving thoughts to him today, maybe during the, our um, dedication of the <coughs> and perhaps beyond that as well. He was very appreciative of that. So he says hello to everybody. His spirits are high. He's in it to win it. And um, he's doing the best he can, and he hopes to be here actually next weekend. So, um, if you will, with that intention, since we have been speaking about intention, um, send him some healing thoughts and some love, if you will, during our dedication of merit. So, let's go ahead and stand. By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion and live believing in the, in the equality of all that lives. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.